Well, kia ora koutou and welcome back to church. Can you believe it's been a whole week since we saw each other last? A whole nother seven days have passed. And for those of you who don't know me, Jeremiah is my name. And along with my wife, Sarah, we're the pastors out here, along with a fabulous team of people of which many of you are involved. But it is really great to have you join us this morning and be part of church and gathering to worship God together. Is um, anyone... Uh, a tramper, you know, love to go for hikes way out in the middle of nowhere to the backcountry huts. Have we got anyone who's, yep, we've got a couple, and anyone who's done like a few day trips, maybe out to a, a little bivy or just something out in the woods, you, yep, there's a, a few nods. Well, there's a few rules if you're going out into the backcountries and you come across these huts. You know, if you've tramped for days or hours to get there, well, when you get there, there's often a little tin shed off to the side that's full of firewood, and there's kindling, and there's a little bit of an expectation that if you use some of that firewood while you're there, you then top it back up so that when the next person comes along, there's some wood in the shed. There's an expectation that you leave at least what you've used. And if you have some time to leave more than, now why would you do that? Is it so that... The people who came to the hut before you got there, they go, oh man, you're awesome. Well, no, because they don't see it. Is it so that the people who came to the hut three weeks before you, oh wow, they've left kindling there. No, because they came before. You cut the kindling, you take the time because of who's coming next. You take the time and the effort to cut some wood, to cut some kindling so that the next people to arrive already have a great starting point from. So that if they get in late at night after a long day's tramping, or they're really cold because it's been raining or snowing, they get there and there's enough wood, there's enough kindling to start the fire so they can get warm. Well, whenever I get out into the backcountry huts, which at the moment is not very often, but when I do, I love to cut kindling. It's just one of those little jobs, just the satisfaction of chopping tiny little bits of wood. And so I'll head out to the little tin shed out the back, And I'll sit and I'll chop a whole lot of kindling, not just enough for the next person, but hopefully for the groups after that as well. It's because I understand that someone else has taken some time to pre-chop some wood and pre-chop some things so that when I've got there, I've been able to keep warm and enjoy my time at the hut. And so I want to pass that on to whoever comes next. I'd love for us to consider this morning What are we leaving behind for the next group, for the next generation? What will whoever comes next find or pick up what we've left? In what state will the next generation find your family? What will have been modeled by you in faith for the next generation? What will the next generation see as of value? How will they live and treat others? How, based on your life, on watching you, on their experiences of you, will they find Christ's church? But who is the next generation? Sure, it could be our rangatahi, our young people. could be our children. But perhaps in a faith context, it could be literally anyone. Because I believe at any age, at any stage, maybe it's an 81-year-old woman who's walked in this morning and is going, I can find faith in Christ. There is a next generation of believers at any point who is the next generation, the next generation of those who love Christ. 
the next group of believers. I saw a quote this week that really captured my attention and got me thinking about this idea. It said, too many people spend their lives being dutiful descendants instead of good ancestors. Too many people spend their lives being dutiful descendants instead of good ancestors. When the next generations come, will they grow up and will they be proud of us? Will we have been good ancestors, good parents, good church family, good friends, who've, good colleagues who've left something of value, who've left a great legacy for them? Or will we live and serve and model a way that would make our ancestors proud? As descendants, it would make those who've gone before us proud. Are we living to be good descendants or good ancestors? Now, I'm not saying these are mutually exclusive at all. I think we can definitely live in a way that empowers the next generation and honors our ancestors, absolutely. But we live not to, be, not to just be dutiful descendants, but to leave something of great value for the next generation. So how will they find the church of Jesus Christ? Will he be central to all that we do? Now we know that the church is made up of us as people. It's not the building that we gather at a certain time on a certain day of the week. Although we do gather in a certain building at a certain time of the week. But the church, that's not what the church is. The church is you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, or people who are discovering what faith is, coming together to learn and encourage, to worship and to hear the word together. That is his church. It's not a brand or a denomination but it's a group of people in the pursuit of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I love the church. I love gathering with you all. I love gathering as a family of people trying to work out this thing we called life and how we can follow Jesus in it. But we love the church, or I love the church, because I first love Christ. We love Jesus and what he did for us, and so... We therefore love gathering with others who also do that. We want to build his church. We want to grow his church. We want to gather as his church. And we want to ensure that the church, the one that we call family and a whole lot of fun and a place to worship, is continually putting Jesus as the center and focus of all that we do. Pointing anyone who comes into this place, anyone we come into interaction with at work, at school, in our families, that we would continually point them also to Jesus. Because as the church, it's not just one moment, one week, but it's every day that we live our lives. We want to live in a way that leaves a legacy for the next generation. One that says that they will be able to praise the Lord. Psalm 78 verse 1. Psalms, a book in the Bible, says this, My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, that's stories, and I will utter hidden things from of old. Things that we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And we'll not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We won't hide them from the next 
generation. We won't hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Things that perhaps our ancestors, those who've gone before us, have told and taught us, modeled to us. Things that we have learnt and developed in our own lives. We won't just be, oh, well, this is a really nice place and I'll keep it to myself. But no, I'll take this good news that I have and I will tell other people. I will tell them of the Lord, of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, praiseworthy deeds of God. I'll tell them of the God who heals the God who loves, the God who comforts, leads and corrects, teaches and forgives, who shows mercy and gives grace, the one God who saves. We will tell them. I will tell them. I will make known the ways of God. I won't sit silent. I won't just be another dutiful descendant, but be someone who passes on this good news to the next generation. And this is our role. All of us. It's not just up to those those in life who've mastered it. I don't think any of us can ever fully get it right. Some of us haven't perhaps followed Jesus for a whole lot longer, and we might have some tips and some tricks and some patterns that are really helpful to living a great life following God, but I can promise you we don't get it right all the time. Well, speaking for myself, I certainly don't, and you can definitely ask my wife and she will confirm. I don't think we all get it right. It's not up to those who live a perfect life. But to every one of us, as we discover something of God, is to take that message and share it with someone else. We don't want to hold on to this good news, not shy away from sharing the praiseworthy things of God. Who taught you to cook? Who taught you to shave? Who taught you to ride a bike or perhaps operate a new system at work? Often a grandparent or a parent, maybe a friend or colleague did one of these things. Well, growing up at our house, Dad's business, he's a mechanic, was right beside our house. And we had one landline, you know, the ones that were attached to the wall. And we didn't have one for the business and one for the family line. We had one line that was also shared with that dreaded thing called dial-up. So we also shared it with one person who wanted to send one email that took half an hour. One line that really served three purposes. And we would watch mum and dad and they'd answer the phone. And as kids, we we didn't really answer it until we could reach it. Because that's an important thing that you can reach the phone. And we'd answer the phone and say, hello. And too often in my case, they'd go, oh, hi, Sue. That's my mum. I was not impressed. I would then clarify that, hello, this is Jeremiah. And they'd go, oh, that's, that's not, it's your dad there. Never wanted to talk to me. But anyway, moving on. We had to be taught how to answer the phone. Whenever we would do something like that, mum and dad would go, oh, well, you need to first say, you know, good morning, and how are you? It's Jeremiah speaking. And then they'd say that, and then it was someone for the business. And so they're like, well, you need to make sure that you say it's, it's anything mechanical and more. Is there something we can help you? And after years as we would practice this, and as we'd picked up the phone, and there's so many times that we got it wrong, eventually we'd be able to pick up the phone and, good morning, anything mechanical and more? This is Jeremiah speaking. How may I help you this afternoon? Because it was something that we didn't just naturally know. We had to be taught this process. We had to be taught how to communicate with others. We had to try and figure it out, and we had someone who stood beside us who modeled it for us. 
but then also helped us point out where we could do better, other things we could say, all in the betterment to help others on the end of the line. We were trained by our parents, and I'm sure they were trained by their parents. Maybe they weren't trained by their parents because maybe they didn't have phones. Maybe they just had Morse code and pigeons or something. But if that was your generation, I'm sorry. But we teach others. We teach our nieces and nephews, our kids, those running around the church. We teach our friends and our colleagues new things. How to use a new system or how to do a video call. How to reply to the email in a nice tone so there's no misunderstanding. We teach them how to ride a bike and use a spoon. We leave so much knowledge We're happy to pass on things that we know that will be helpful to them. And hopefully we leave them with a good understanding of how whatever they're trying to do works, that they would be able to do it as well. But what about our faith? Do you ever tell them about the things that God has done in your life? Are you sharing sharing stories about the times that God showed up for you? Or are you sharing the times that he didn't show up for you and you were left with a great sense of disappointment and how you had to walk through that while still choosing and trusting Jesus? Do you encourage them to read their Bible when they need hope? To talk to God when they need comfort? To help them read the Bible and perhaps to even understand it? To ask questions and discover truth in it? Do you pray not just for them, but with them? Tonight, you will have heard Sarah say we have our prayer and worship night at uh, La Vida this this evening from 5 to 6 p.m. In two weeks' time, it'll be here at QE2. And we've got a kids' program running that's helping to teach them to pray as well. And I encourage you that if you can make it work, to be there. Prayer and worship is every second week, so we can... uh, gather here once a month and in one of our other campuses the other month as well. But what a great opportunity for, for us to demonstrate the importance of prayer. It's prioritizing just one hour of our personal time together and pray. Part of teaching another generation, those around us, what we place our value in. Prayer simply postures us to listen for God and to talk to him. But it's you who chooses whether you put, will you position yourself in places to pray. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's nothing more complicated than that. And you'll know that it can be done anywhere, at any time, in any place, in any position. But if you are anything like me, sometimes I need to be a little bit more organized than just go, oh, I can do that sometime. I actually need to put a date in my calendar or a note in my calendar to make sure I do the things that I want to show importance for, the things that I have value in. And so I choose to position myself at least once a week and for an hour service of prayer and worship, gathering with others, postured to listen and talk with God. I will say I do pray other times of the week as well. Okay, I will will say that. But... I know that once every two weeks, for one hour, I'm going to gather with others to pray and worship.
I believe even things like having spent, given up your time this morning to come and gather as the church is part of positioning yourself, posturing yourself to listen and hear from God. Hopefully this morning no one forced you to be here, blackmailed you to be in church. I really hope that if that is, please come talk to me. I really would love that not to be the case. But recognizing the importance of gathering, of worship, of learning and encouraging one another. This morning you chose to gather with us today. We choose these positions, not to make those who've come before us really proud, but out of a love of, for Christ and a worship to him and trying to establish good patterns in our life that continually draw us closer to him. And we demonstrate to another generation the importance of knowing God, living by the Holy Spirit and following his leading. Too many people spend their lives being dutiful descendants instead of good ancestors. And I get it because I want to make my parents proud. I want to make my grandparents proud. I want when they look at me and look at my life to go, that's my son. And I'm sure many of you are the same as well. I have a little bit of an idea of what they've given up, of what they've sacrificed, of what they've invested in me so I could do well and follow the call of God. And I want them to be proud of me. I don't know what your relationship with your family is, with your parents, your grandparents, but so often we can put a whole lot of pressure on ourselves to make those who've come before us proud of us. Or maybe to prove them wrong and say, look, I've done this, to prove something to those who've come before Oh, we've got to do well at school, at university. I've got to get that promotion. I've got to start that business because that's really what they would have wanted for me. That really would have, they've really helped me out with that, so I really should do that for them. If only my dad or my grandma or another family member could see me now, they'd be so proud of me, of the way that I'm raising my family after getting that promotion or sealing that business deal. And that's important to follow some of the patterns and the things they've instilled in us, the good patterns that we can be successful in life. But we do it so we can invest and show value to the next generation. There are things that my grandpa taught me, and I'm sure many of you have heard me say this before. But I remember sitting at the table with my grandpa as he was telling them stories about things that God had done in his life. And at the end of every story that he would tell, he would say to the person, and God's been good to us. God's been good to us. And then he'd turn to me, sat across the table from me and say, Jeremiah, remember, God's been good to us. Teaching me that at the end of the story, whether it was a good story, a disappointing story, a sad story, we could still say God's been good to us. And so now that's how I want to and how I like to finish the stories that I tell, by saying God's been good to us. Is it to please my grandpa? To make him proud of how I finished the stories the same way that he did. No. I do it because it's something I want to speak over my life. It's something I want to remind those of around me, and I want my children, those in my life, to understand how good God has been to us. Seeing the great pattern that my grandfather set and taught me, 
I choose to live it so that the next generation will know. I won't hide it from those that come next. I will tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Genesis 13, 14, and 16 says this, The Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look back, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, they can, then your descendants can also be numbered. The inheritance is for you and for your descendants, perhaps passed down by your ancestors, but it's for your future. It is for the next generations. What you carry in your life matters. Look up and notice where you've come from. Look where you are now positioned. Notice the position that you hold, perhaps at work, the role in your family, the value that your friends place on you. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. And now look to what God is giving you ahead, leading you for your descendants for the next generation. We will not hide them from, the next, from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. I invite the band to join me again on stage. This morning we're about to go into another time of worship. And I feel perhaps as, the, as I've spoken this morning and we've talked about the dutiful descendants and being good ancestors and what we leave behind for the next generation. You know that you or you feel that you are carrying around the weight of expectation from those who've gone before you. Perhaps you feel guilty about the life that you're now leading. This isn't what your parents or grandparents maybe had in mind for you. You feel like you've let them down. You've gone, I just don't feel quite right about that. You know, Jesus set us free from guilt and shame. He came that we might have life. He came with love and grace for us. That whatever we have lived before, whatever our family line has done, whatever we have experienced, that we might know grace, we might know forgiveness, and we might live in the freedom of knowing Christ. When we talk about families and Family origins, there are some big things that perhaps some of us need to process sometimes. And if that's you, you're going, wow, it's, there's a whole lot of things in my, fa- in my family's past that I really just don't know quite how to deal with. I encourage you to come and chat to Sarah or I or one of the team, and we'd love to connect you perhaps with some free professional counseling that we make available through the church. So please let us know if that's something that you would like to explore, some professional help and working through some things. But this morning, Holy Spirit, I believe, is also here. And He also can do a work in you. Set some people free from the thinking that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough, that you've done wrong. Jesus has overcome the world, overcome every obstacle, 
overcome every mistake, every wrong thing that we've done in our lives. Doesn't mean that it's going to be easy saying that we're not going to have hardships, we're not going to have disappointments anymore, but he has overcome them that when we walk with him, we can know peace and we can know comfort. By dying on the cross, he took our mistakes, my mistakes, our sin on himself, and then rising again, he showed that those things have no power in his name and that we are forgiven when we call on him. And the best thing we can do for the next generation is part of passing on the good news, part of living a life, modeling a life that says to the next generation of believers, those who've perhaps heard for the first time or those who we're raising as our own kids, something that the best thing we can do for them is simply to put Jesus at the center. To keep pointing them to the person of Jesus. When things are hard, say, look to Jesus. When things are going really well, look to Jesus. Most important thing not for the, for the next generation is not family holidays. It's not even the church. It's Jesus. Center of it all. Or perhaps this morning, Psalm 78 captured your attention. The verse that said, I will not hide it from the next generation. And you've gone, actually, it's not that I'm hiding it. I'm just not perhaps sharing it as well as I could. I'm not living in a way that would really say, hey, look at the good news that I have. Look at what Jesus has done for me. Today, would you again give God your availability. Say to him, here I am, use me, send me. I will go and I will tell your praiseworthy deeds. Pray, Lord, give me boldness and confidence again in your gospel, that I wouldn't just be a dutiful descendant, but I would be a great ancestor, one who passes on the hope and love and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me if you're able this morning? Let me pray for you. God, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. That you made a way where it seemed impossible. That despite all of our mistakes, all of the things we've done wrong, all of the things we've left with disappointment, whatever things we've been handed down by our ancestors, the things that they've done, the expectations of others, maybe of friends, maybe of our family that have placed on us. God, that your grace and your forgiveness and your love is greater. That where we felt there's disappointment, where we've failed, where we've done wrong, that your freedom says there's no guilt, there's no shame in the name of Jesus. And so this morning as we worship, we again give you our availability. We say, God, would you use us? Would you give us a boldness and again a confidence in the gospel to tell the next generation, to tell our friends, to tell our families, to tell our grandparents, to tell the next generation of believers the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the wonders and things you have done. To tell of your love and your grace 
of your forgiveness of what you've done for us on the cross. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would set people free in the name of Jesus. They would choose to put you central in their lives. With all the distractions and things of this world, that they would choose to lift up their eyes, to look around and then point their compass in your direction. To ask you, Lord, in prayer, by reading your word for your direction, your leading, in all areas of our life. So Holy Spirit, we, we invite you. Come and work in us. Speak to us as we worship you this morning. Amen.